You know, we think of idolatry like bronze statue of a beast or something. It's like, well, what about your cute little five-year-old? Mm-hmm. Like that could easily be an idol in your life because yeah. it's the good things that are most are most tempted to worship. This is Pastor John. This is Pastor Tim. This is the Every Moment His podcast. And today we're going to continue slow jamming Romans, just kind of walking through the thoughts, the big ideas of Romans. Right? Yeah. It's good for that. <laughs> it's yeah. got a lot of big ideas. And uh, so today we're going to talk about this term that shows up in verse 18 of chapter 1 the wrath of God. And kind of a heavy concept, something we probably don't like very much, maybe, but we're going to talk about how we actually do believe in the wrath of God or should, yeah, and how it's actually important when we think about our own humanity and justice and evil and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I think, yeah, I don't think it's a very popular idea, at least on the surface. Yeah, but one of those things that you really can't understand the scriptures or the gospel without it. Yeah. And something that we actually do believe in if we look a little deeper. So um, that's heavy. Why don't you give us something light? Sure. All right. So here's, here's a dad joke for you. What did, what did the ocean say to the shore when he was crying? What? Why are you so sedimental? <laughs> a little geology there. Yeah, it's a good, good one. Yeah. It's, it's a friendly it's a friendly joke. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So nothing wrong with being sedimental <laughs> in life, you know. I think it's better than being callous, you know, and rocky. Yeah, it's better than being metamorphous or igneous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Romans one eighteen, which by the way, in Romans one seventeen, Paul says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we talked about how the righteousness of God means really God's saving action on our behalf through Jesus Christ, which evokes faith in us. And he makes mm-hmm. us righteous. Mm-hmm. We who are unrighteous are made righteous through Christ. Yeah, and uh, the word in Greek is the same word that we have for apocalypse, which is great. The revealed word? Yeah, so yeah, to be revealed. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, so apocalypse... On the one hand, we have the revelation, the revealing mm-hmm. of God's righteousness by which he saves us. But in verse 18, the next verse, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Re- yeah, so re- this idea of being revealed is kind of like something's behind a curtain, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the curtain is, is taken away, boom, there it is. You have to deal with it. It's right yeah. in front of you. You have to deal with it. It's something like that has always been there, but you didn't know. right. Um, I think of it as like a black light, you know, it just uh, exposes yeah, yeah. or or like a curtain being drawn. But it, And it's even more intense than that. Um, uh, yeah, because Mar- it's not like you can just opt out of that experience. Or close your eyes and pretend it's not there. Right. So Martin Franzman, in his commentary on Romans, he says that the revelation, the uh, revealing of something in Scripture, when God reveals something, it's not so much he's saying, here, look at this. He's saying, no, here, have this, feel it, experience it. So revelation is something that kind of like a bowling ball hmm. just kind of 
comes right through into people's lives. In a positive sense, it's the righteousness of God, his saving work mm -hmm. that just kind of comes right into our lives, collides with us. Yeah. But also Paul says, and this is actually, this is why Paul says the word for, I think. He says, okay, God's righteousness is revealed. It's received by faith for the wrath of God is revealed. The reason we need the righteousness of God revealed to us is because the wrath of God is revealed to us. It comes kind of crashing into our lives. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I just, I just, when I try to preach, I try to anticipate people's reactions to things. And I have a feeling that, the, that words like wrath or anger or judgment of God maybe kind of rub people the wrong way or maybe they kind of squirm in their seat or maybe they say, when's mm -hmm. this going to be over? Yeah, or like, gosh, aren't we past that kind of religion yeah. in our modern era? You know, kind of the turn and burn kind of theologies, you know? Maybe we're just, we should just get over it. Yeah, like that's like really kind of a downer. Yeah, it's archaic. Like, what is God, like abusive, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> but we'll we'll see that that's, that's not true. I mean, there's... Mm -hmm. I think there's a positive necessity to wrath. Um, so how about we start by just reading some of this together. Sure. Um, I'll start. This is Romans 1 verse 18. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Hmm. Yeah, so God's wrath is being revealed against really this kind of, it, uh, this the image of God gone wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, God, in order for us to understand wrath, we have to understand that God created humanity for a very specific, very specific purpose. God created us to live in his image. What, what does that mean to be yeah. created in the image of God? So yeah, back, all the way back in Genesis, right? He, God created male and female in his image. Mm -hmm. And so they're image bearers. And if you read the context most, most accurately, that means they're in charge or they have dominion. They're kind of like managers. Yeah. So they're going to reflect, I think N.T. Wright says it this way, they're like, kind of like two-way mirrors, that they reflect God's glory into his creation. Mm. And then when creation looks at them, they see a picture of the God who created. Mm. And so they're kind yeah. of a linchpin, you could say, or they're, yeah, they're, they're middle management, right? They're Vice regents. Yeah, they're honored to have a position of authority and creativity in God's creation. And this is why God says, you know, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, right? Rule it in righteousness, Make yeah. it good, make it ordered, make it beautiful, like the Garden of Eden was for Adam and Eve. So really like God kind of sets the stage in creation for us to be creative. Uh, and that's why things like uh, reason and 
art and, mm-hmm. you know, music and work are good things. So, yeah, in, in creation, God sets us up to do some really amazing, great things. There's a lot of creative potential. But, you know, if you have the possibility of something good being done, you kind of inherently have the possibility of the opposite being mm. done. And so what we read here in Genesis 1, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 23 is kind of like the, it's, it's like if you were to reverse the image of God, mm. right? Yeah. If you were to, or even if you were to take the image of God and shatter it on the ground. I mean, that human beings have used their kind of managerial power, you know, mm-hmm really for their own ends and yeah. to glorify themselves rather than God. Yeah, it's, you know, we're try- we were trying to think of some analogies for this, like how profound this problem is. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I was thinking if you, if you had a house and someone just started living in that house uh, that you didn't invite and started messing everything up, and instead of like getting firewood, they would just tear the walls up to make their own fire, just really short-sighted, and they're like just just squatters, you know? It's like, well, would you be mad about that? Yeah. Yeah, you would want the authorities to come and take them out, right? Yeah, so right. there's crazy stories like this, you know, on the news, people just take up residence in someone else's house and destroy it and mm-hmm. abuse it. Yeah. It's kind of like that, I guess. Maybe and I think of it this way too. It. I think of like, let's say that you have like family members or friends that are in, invited to your house for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And they ring the doorbell and they walk in and they don't make eye contact with you. They don't talk to you for a whole two, three hours, but they eat all your food and they drink all your expensive wine and they trash the place and then they leave without ever saying thank you. Yeah, That's kind of like what human beings do in creation because here it says like God's given them all these gifts, but they refused to glorify God. They refused to give thanks to Mm. God. And so they actually end up loving the things God made more than they love the God who gave those good things. Yeah, so they they replace the image of the immortal God, the glory of him for an Mm -hmm. image of other things. So it really is a so backwards because they were supposed to be the image bearers reflecting God's glory into the world. And instead they decide to take that, those creatures, those other things that God had made mm-hmm. and promote them to the position of God. It's really absurd. Yeah, it's the misuse of creation. You know, it'd be like if you took something beautiful, like a violin, N.T. Wright uses this image. Um, if you were to take something beautiful like a violin and instead of making beautiful music with it, you use it as a tennis racket. <laughs> You know, it's like we're, we're, we're worshiping creation <laughs> as God rather than giving glory to God for creation. And it's interesting because creation actually is so good that there is a temptation to worship it. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah, well, and you can think about the good gifts that, yeah, there, there is, you're right. Um, some of the best things that we have in this world, you mm-hmm. know, beauty, um, art, you know, people become obsessed, our bodies become yeah. an obsession because they are phenomenally Food, amazing. Food, drink, yeah. sexuality. Um, um, yeah, uh, know, just, children. Yeah. 
career can work. all become that because yeah so it's not that they're you know we think of idolatry like bronze statue of a beast or something it's like well what about your cute little five-year-old mm-hmm. like that could easily be an idol in your life because yeah. it's the good things that are most we're most tempted to worship the things that we fear love and trust above all things uh luther says that is our god and yeah good so um let's talk about this wrath idea mm-hmm. is god justified to be upset about this i guess yeah i think so i mean if we really think about the purpose for which god created humanity it's it's like if you you know if you if if you invite people over for dinner and you have all their places set out and nice good food set out and you've prepared you know this great evening of conversation and fellowship and Mm. and then somebody shows up and they start you know throwing the dishes on the ground and breaking them and throwing the tables over and giving you the finger. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, you're going to be like, uh, yeah, I'm upset because the, yeah. the greater love that you have for someone, I think the greater wrath there is when they reject that mm. love. Mm. I mean, like when somebody in traffic, you know, gives you the finger and you don't know that person, it's not going to keep you up at night. You're just like, whatever, that person is kind of a crank. But... But if somebody who you love and you cherish and you value does that to you, you know, says a hurtful word to you, you're going to really be bothered by that and angry by that and mm. hurt by that. And so I think this wrath of God actually flows out of the love of God. And, and, and we have to think about this in terms of relationships with other people. So uh, another analogy to use is let's say that you are out on the playground at recess and you have all these kids playing together and say there's a bully on the playground and that bully is picking on the weaker kids Mm -hmm. as the teacher in charge of recess the one who has the whistle and the authority to send people to consign people to suspension or detention Would you not be a crooked, unjust teacher if you observed the bullying of weaker kids and didn't do anything about it? Right. But wouldn't we just exalt and rejoice in the justice of that teacher if that teacher showed wrath? Maybe that teacher's going to have some patience, but then that patience stops and for the sake of the weaker and really for holding accountable the stronger that this is not who you're supposed to be, there is this action of wrath of like no i'm yeah. gonna blow the whistle i'm gonna intervene and there's gonna there's gonna be a detention there's gonna be a time there's gonna be some kind of a righteous judgment yeah administered and i think it's important to to note that in romans 118 it doesn't say here that the wrath of god will be revealed mm-hmm. it does say that in chapter 2 uh verse 5 it says, uh, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So there will be a day in which God will show like final wrath yeah. for those who refuse to repent. And, but in 118, it says the wrath of God is revealed or is being revealed. Right. And what I think that is, is that through the circumstances and even the laws and justice of this earth, through government and authorities, 
through even difficulties and sufferings we go through, God's wrath is actually being shown to people mm -hmm. who are sinners so that they can actually repent and not experience an irreversible wrath. Hmm. It's almost so, like yeah, the teacher like is being, saying, I'm going to put you right, in detention right. so that I don't have to like kick you out of school forever. Right. Because like, what should God do with people who refuse to live in love? Right. Like, what's he going to do with them? Yeah, exactly right. Um, they can't. He, they can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's because, right. They can't be eternal. No, because right, there can't be like hatred and and evil in God's kingdom. You just start all over, right? God, God redeems the world, and He brings people who are still full of sin, envy, lust, pride, wrath into His kingdom. It's, it's still a problem. Yeah. So He has to deal with it somehow, right? And I think, uh, you know, we were talking about the righteousness of God. And mm -hmm. I think it flows from the righteousness because God is not a partial judge. Right. Right. He's not like that um, bad school teacher. Right. He doesn't sweep anything under the rug. Right. So, yeah. and I think this is one of the most universal, uh, universally accepted truths is that if someone attacks you, you want justice. Yeah, if we see injustice, we want justice. And, and just another way to think about it is we, we, we say God is love. That God is loving. We like that. That's good news for sinners. But is there anything that God hates? Do we want God to hate certain things, certain mm -hmm. actions? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's right, a lot of, of stuff in this world that yeah. we want God to hate. We want him to be the absolute enemy of. like Things like, you know... Um, so like if we could talk about like abuse of children or racism or sex you know, trafficking, sex trafficking, yeah. like, you know, like innocent civilians being killed, you yeah. know, like we should look at those things and be like, yes, we want God to intervene and we want him to show justice. And in the case of those who refuse mm -hmm. to repent, there has to be kind of this ultimate justice. Well, we'll even, you know, we'll, if there's not justice, we'll even accuse God of being unjust. Yeah, we could say that God's yeah. not just. And but here we have the opposite. He's revealing mm -hmm. his justice. The problem is it gets everyone. It gets all unrighteousness. It gets all ungodliness. Right, because God, when he, in his justice, in his righteousness, he's not just talking about our relationships with each other. Mm. he's actually talking about our relationship to him. Mm. So we experience dysfunction in our relationships with other people, sin and whatnot. But really we need to think about the dysfunction that we have in our relationship with God. And it's easy to forget that. So for example, in the Reformation, Martin Luther and, and company, um, their argument against the Roman church at that time was that the Roman church was saying, that sin upon which God shows wrath is basically when you break commandments like you shall not steal, you mm. shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. But the reformers were saying, oh, hold on. What about our failure to love God above all things, to trust God above all things, to have him in reverence, really to have faith? Mm. And, and the reformers would say that's actually the sin of the heart that leads to every other sin. We'll talk about that yeah, more in our yeah. next Yeah, Yeah, well, Luther said, you know, if we could keep the first commandment, we wouldn't need the rest of them. Yeah. Because all of the rest of our relationships would be rightly ordered. 
If you could keep the first commandment and truly have no other God, fearing, loving, and trusting God above all things, that would mean you'd keep commandment nine and 10, which means mm-hmm. that you wouldn't covet and desire that which is not yours, which means, and if you don't covet, you won't steal. You're not going to steal because like coveting is like enacted. I mean, stealing is enacted coveting. It's hmm. when you like turn your coveting into action and yeah. do the five finger discount. Um, <laughs> adultery is coveting in action. Yeah. Actually, uh, slandering it kind of is too because you're attacking someone's reputation. Sometimes, yeah, often Sometimes for your that own benefit. Jealousy, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so, I guess in sum, what we're saying is that if we really believe that God is just and we really believe that human beings are created in the image of God and we really believe that humans are created for a purpose, then we actually should believe in, in the wrath of God. And we should recognize that the wrath of God actually is tied to his love because a truly loving God will also hate certain things, certain actions, and he will step in and intervene to put things to right. And that's what the day of judgment is. is. Well, and let me, uh, maybe one final analogy. They kind of abound in this topic, but um, I've heard someone say, God hates sin uh, like a doctor hates cancer. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be at peace with it. It's ruining, it's corrupting, it's taking over, right? So the doctor has to intervene and sometimes it's a severe intervention, right? But yeah it's for the love of the patient. And so in in the case of our God, he's not just going to, thanks be to God, right? He did not just pull the plug on this whole creation project. He could have. He could have. He could have aborted the entire project. Mm -hmm. But rather than do that in his great compassion, he allowed his wrath to be revealed, um, but then he revealed his righteousness through Jesus. Um, And so people might be warned Mm -hmm. and might come to Jesus to be healed, cleansed, justified all words we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna talk about more so let's here's a a final final thought i think one of the reasons that people might wrestle with the idea of the wrath of god could be because they don't want to be held accountable because they don't actually want a god who might call them to account but (laughs) you think (laughs) right yeah (laughs) but i think for some kind of churchy people you know people Mm -hmm. who grew up in the church there are some people who really wrestle with the idea of the wrath of God because maybe they've experienced a kind of abusive religious upbringing Mm. where it's like God is kind of heavy handed and demanding perfection and exacting righteousness punishment, but there's no love. There's just distance. And yeah, and so it's so, kind of a legalistic. Yeah, and it's like, based. well, nobody can live yeah. under that. And mm-hmm. I think that what we need to talk about, too, is that the wrath of God is what Luther called his alien work, hmm. meaning the proper work, God's default way, his way he, his heart is mercy and grace and compassion and love. Creation, yeah. Yeah. But his alien work is sort of like the doctor operating on cancer. Right. He only causes pain and grief and shows wrath so that he might bring people to reconciliation in Christ. So really, when we think about the wrath of God, we always have to recognize that it's a means to an end. Yeah. And the end is God's merciful embracing of us. And I think That's we need to thought. look at the cross because yeah. 
it, you cannot understand the cross of Jesus Christ apart from God's wrath because if you don't understand God's wrath, then Jesus just died accidentally at the hands mm -hmm. of the Romans. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize that God preordained that Christ would die for our sins, you have to see there too that God is showing his righteous wrath against all human evil on the cross. And he's doing that out of love so that he can embrace us and free us from evil. There he's saying no to sin completely at the cross so he can say yes to us completely. So I think that's important to embrace. Yeah, it's so just the gospel, right? <laughs> yeah, wrath, wrath is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a temporary thing, right? If there was no sin, God would have no wrath. He'd, you know, but sin, wrath is a reaction to the corruption that has crept into this world. Yeah, it, and so for the Christian, that's why we love the words of Paul from Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. You could also say there is therefore no now, now no wrath mm -hmm. to those who are in Christ Jesus. Cool. Because the day of wrath has passed for us. So, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, next time we're going to talk about what is sin because guess what? Um, sin may not be what you think it is. We think it's just like I did a naughty, you know, I yeah. did something wrong. The things I got slapped on my wrist for. Yeah, but no, it's actually way deeper than that. 